All right, three, two, one. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest who published a book last year. His name is Drew Graffia. The title of the book is The Warrior Priest Mindset, A Necessary Dichotomy for God's Chosen Knights. Uh, I read the book. It's an excellent book. I got fired up reading it, so I'm glad that uh, he's taking time out of his busy schedule to talk about the book and uh, you know, talk about some of the details in there and what it takes to uh, be a knight for the Lord. So, Drew, are you there? I'm here. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for agreeing to the interview. So for people who haven't heard your name or uh, your background, can you talk a little bit about yourself and what inspired you to write a book of this style? Sure. So I basically, I worked for 10 years at a company called Medieval Times. It's in Buena Park, California. At that place, I would sword fight, joust, ride horses, and it was a medieval dinner tournament show. So you'd show up, there'd be six knights, they'd have a tournament, and then at the end there'd be fighting and jousting. So I did that for 10 years, and along the way, one of the characters I ended up playing the most was the warrior priest. Now, the warrior priest had a cross on his tunic. He had uh, black stripes and white stripes. So he was the one that was the Christian knight. And as I became a Christian, I think two years into my stay there, I, I became a Christian. Um, my whole journey through Christianity has, al- has also been coupled with this job and this, this knight mentality. So from seeing this, this character, the warrior priest, and being fascinated with him, fascinated with a, a holy warrior type of, of character... Um, it started to to make me realize that the Messiah also has this dual nature. You know, Jesus was also a lion and a lamb. So I, this kept like, you know, poking at me as I was there, like, man, isn't this cool? Isn't this cool? And then eventually um, God called me and my wife out of California to Missouri. Once we were there, we didn't know what we we're going to do there. We just went there kind of on faith. And uh, maybe like one year into it, I just had, I just felt like, you know what, I should... I should try to write some of this stuff down. I should try to write a book about, you know, a knight's perspective on some of these these things I value from the Bible. And then once I started, it just completely transformed into the the necessary dichotomies, the dual natures of of what a Christian knight should be. Gotcha. And that was one of the interesting aspects of the books or elements of the book is how, you know, we have this one view of the Lord as the, this peace lamb, but there's also the the conquering king, you know, this this other element of his personality or nature. So, uh, what uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Why you use that word dichotomy and kind of expand on that a little bit more? So the dichotomy is is in reference to the dual nature. So two seemingly opposite but similar things. So when you think of <clears throat> when you think of a lion and a lamb. It, you have a cute little lamb, a nice harmless picture of innocence, and then you have almost an opposite, a, a powerful, brave symbol of not only royalty and majesty, but also power and and um, preeminence. So these things you wouldn't think would, would make a good pair, but they, they actually are the, both the sides of, of Jesus and the, both the sides of what we should be. So when you look at the warrior priest, like I said, it's a warrior, one who fights for what he believes in, stands up for what's right, and then a priest, one who's in prayer, seeking after the Lord. You know, they, they to me, they're inseparable, and I wanted to kind of show people how this is, this is how we are. This is how we're made. This is how we're supposed to be. Right. So you kind of felt like this book was in addressing some of the ideas that are 
uh, current in the culture, maybe like the attack on biblical manhood and womanhood, etc. Would you agree with that? Of course, yeah. There, there is a complete attack on. There's always been an attack on God's design, and right now it's more prevalent than ever. We're seeing an attack on the family unit, namely, you know, biblical masculinity and biblical femininity. So, you know, they're, they're trying to get men not to be men. The culture is trying to basically castrate men in every sense of the word, and then the same thing with women. They're trying to change women into the role of men. And it's just, it's all to weaken, I think it's to weaken the family unit and to just deliberately go against God's design. Yeah, I agree with that as well. I mean, uh, tell, talk about the introductory chapter, chapter the how the king views his knights. What Can you expand on that? Yes, so that ties exactly into what we're talking about. So in order, with all these uh, gender identity issues and people thinking they should have been this gender, um, that that's an identity issue. They do not know who they are, so they think that there's something else. They think that there was a mistake when they were made. They they should have been this gender. They should have been identified as this sex. Um, but in reality, they they don't know who they are. Now, being a Christian, we have the benefit of the Bible telling us exactly what we were intended to be and and who God says we are. So when you when you find out how the King views his knights, how King Yahweh views his his children, his knights you see what he says about you. And that's why I wanted to have that first in there to show you this is this is who you are. So don't be mistaken about who you are. And then once you have that down, we could move forward into how to get to those goalposts. Right. So, you know, you kind of, and you definitely intersperse your uh, chapters with very important and vitally important biblical quotes. So, uh, you know, I, I appreciated that aspect of the book, but... Um, what are the kind of, uh, what are the kind of characteristics? I mean, what, a lot of your definitions, you're basically showing the characteristics of individuals and, uh, what you're supposed to kind of exemplify. What are those introductory views of, of Christ's knights do you think are, are best? What are those characteristics best defined as? So when you think of a, a, a knight, I could give you some traits of a knight and then I can give you. Um, or basically, a knight is a warrior priest. So I can give you some traits of a warrior, some traits of a priest. So let's say you look at the knight. He is the perfect embodiment of both. Now, with a knight, you think of valor and courage. You know, every time like or Jesus would talk to his people or God the Father, he mentions a lot of fear not, be be strong and courageous. He told Joshua, be strong and courageous. So that's that falls in line with the warrior. Uh, perseverance, resilience, you're supposed to be a defender. And then when you look at the priest side, some of the traits that I like to focus on are, are sacrifice, humility, um, honor, purity, faith, faith in God. So th those are two different sides of the same being. And then it, that's, that's basically like the lion and the lamb. The lion is meek, um, has humility, obedience. And then you think of, that was the lamb. And then you think of the lion is, is strong, ferocious, powerful, bold, fearless. You're supposed to be bold and fearless with your faith. Right. And you kind of make, you define the kind of knight not as like a Freemason or something, but in that two-part personality of Christ. Um, well, and it is interesting, like the definition of Christ, the suffering servant and conquering king, that definitely, uh, you know, encompasses this, this, this element of your dichotomy. I mean, can you explain uh, that in more detail? 
Yeah, so when, when Jesus showed up the first time, uh, there, were, there were all the prophecies we read in the Bible now. In retrospect, it's easy to see what, what they meant and what they applied to. But to the people at the time, they would see the prophecies of this conquering king to deliver the Jews of their troubles, to, to save them from all their perils, and to basically sit enthroned as the king. So they would see all these prophecies, and they thought, cool, this is what we're looking for. That This, this Savior is going to come and, and solve all of our problems. What, and then they saw the prophecies about the suffering servant, one who would come and basically die, one who would be come and be sacrificed, someone who would come and basically almost get defeated by darkness, seemingly. And so what they thought was, these can't be the same guy. So there has to be two people that are coming. So when Jesus came, he came as the suffering servant. He came to, to live as our example and sacrifice himself for our, our lives. Now, when they saw that, they're like, okay, this isn't the conquering king. This may be the other guy, but this isn't the conquering king. And lo and behold, it was. He, he came first as a suffering servant, then he will come as the conquering king. And, and in my book, I talk about counterfeits, um, counterfeits to all these, these, these aspects of living. Now, same thing will happen when Jesus comes back as the conquering king. There's going to be a counterfeit conqueror. There's going to be a rider on a white horse that, that is going to pose as the conquering king, but he's actually going to be sent to conquer in an evil way. This will be the Antichrist. And th that Antichrist will have uh, personality characteristics much different than the returned Christ, correct? Exactly. So so as in um, when Christ comes and he's, he's strong, he's royal, he has authority, he's, he's powerful, the counterfeit, his version of the lion, the counterfeit lion, because Peter calls him a lion too, his version, he'll be overbearing, He'll be prideful, he'll be deceitful, he'll be cruel, violent, loveless. Everything, that all the power of a lion will be perverted in this counterfeit. Gotcha. And uh, that was your section on the counterfeit lion. But what, what will be, the, the in Christ's return, what will characterize his return? And one of the interesting aspects of Matthew 24:30, if I can read it, Then shall appear the sign mm -hmm. of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Uh, what will be the characteristics of his return, and why do you think the tribes of the earth will mourn? I think they'll mourn because they will have a knowing. They will know that, you know, when you're in the presence of a sinless God, you know all of your sin. You know that this being sees you for all you are. And they will also know that they've been set against him their whole lives. So when he shows up in, in power and glory you are going to know this is the conquering king. This is the one that has been talked about from the beginning of time. I, I don't think there'll be any confusion. Right. And why do you think that many, like you could say at the beginning of Christendom, uh, there was a split between people who recognized the Jewish Messiah and uh, the true Messiah in Christ and those who didn't. Why do you think that they couldn't comprehend that the the advent of Christ was was really this this great message for humanity. Why do why, why do you think that happened? I believe they they missed the dual nature. I believe the one one aspect of it was they they just saw these two opposing set of prophecies and they just they they couldn't they couldn't reconcile it together. Um, and the the enemy is at work to deceive all the time as it is so that on top of you kind of missing this this dual nature it just adds to one of the many reasons why uh, a lot of people weren't able to accept that that was him gotcha. and he was shaking things up 
Yeah, for I mean, indeed. I mean, I think that uh, the prophecies indicated, I think at a certain point, like his his ride into Jerusalem with, uh, you know, Isaiah's prophecy, you shall come riding on an ass. I think a lot of those prophecies at a certain point pointed that Christ was the true Messiah. But I think that, uh, yeah, I think that there were always, I think that that's, there was that element of pride in those people for wanting to have a carnal, worldly conqueror instead of a spiritual conqueror. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that kind of reminds me of King Saul, how, how the people wanted a king over them, and they wanted one like the nations around them. And the, the plan was for God to be the king, but they wanted someone like that, so then they gave him King Saul, who was a head and shoulders taller than everybody, a powerful, conquering hero, and look how he turned out. The Spirit of the Lord left him, and an evil spirit came over him. He, he, became, he got tormented. He, he basically, everything he had, he lost. Right. I mean, in, in a certain way, a lot of what Israel itself had got lost as well. I mean, they were, no, they were now became a, a kingdom, and God warned them, you know, this is, your, this is what's going to happen. Exactly. Um, so we talk about the two messiahs. What, uh, in the, the book, you also talk about Christ as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Can you talk a little bit about that as well? Yes, so he, when I think of a lion, I think of, you know, royal, regal, and having authority. Now, he has all the authority. You, you wouldn't, you know, just, you think of a lion, you wouldn't expect a smaller creature to be leading a lion. They call him the, the, the king of beasts for a reason. So he has this authority, and I think that's one of the reasons why he shows he showed himself as a lion. He, he chose to uh, speak of himself in that reference. And it's also because of the bold and fearless aspect. When you're out standing up for what's right, there's no room for fear, unless it's fear of the Lord, of course, but there's no room for fear. You, you, you're not to be timid speaking about your faith and, and almost keeping it a secret or, 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 or treading lightly, uh, stepping on eggshells. You're supposed to be bold and fearless. And part of that, you know, is in, in, you're empowered by the Spirit of the Lord to do those things. So he is the source of the, the, the authority. You know, we cast out demons in his name with his authority. That's, that's how I picture him as a lion, strong having authority, ferocious and terrifying. That's another aspect. When Jesus came on the scene and started casting out demons, the demons were terrified. So these that's beings that would torment man, they were terrified at, at the sight of him, and they knew who well, he was right away. That's an interesting point. And also uh, it makes me think of the scripture. I can't remember what the scripture was, but it was they were of the, the Pharisees in Jerusalem were afraid of Christ. They were afraid to go out and meet him because they were afraid of that. Do you recollect that scripture? Was it the so, Beelzebub one? So, uh, Drew, can you tell me a little bit about why it's important to be sober and vigilant? Yes, so one of the main parts of a night of Yahweh is being sober and vigilant. You are to be on guard and, and ready for whatever comes your way. Everyone knows that the Christian life is not, you know, easy sailing. It's, there, there's stuff that's constantly coming your way. And when it comes to, let's say, drugs and alcohol, it applies to that. Ephesians 5.18 says, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So anything that alters your consciousness, I would argue, is making, giving you an unclear mind. Um, an unclear mind leads to unclear decision-making. And if, if you're on a battlefield, the last thing you want is, is tainted decision-making. You look at a, a great warrior, Samson. He was tainted by his, the Philistine women he surrounded himself with. So they impaired his judgment. He ended up giving up his, his, the secret to his strength. And it cost him his eyes and ultimately his life. So 
when it comes to sin, you need to be ready and, and on guard for stuff like that. And then when it comes to being in charge of your house, let's say you're the man of the house, you have to be sober and vigilant so you can be on guard for what comes into your house, what shows come into your house, what what media comes into your house, what music comes into your house. So First uh, John 1.6 says, if, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not and we do not the truth. So darkness is always trying to creep in. And if you're not sober and vigilant, you have a tainted a tainted guard post basically. You have you have a watchman at the gates who are sleeping on the job. You know, and, and anger can also give you an unclear mind. To me that's that's similar to alcohol. If you're sh- if you're shrouded in anger, you're blinded. That's why it's like so Ephesians 4:26 to 27 says be angry and sin not and let not the sun go down upon your wrath neither give place to the devil. So this is something that gives you an unclear mind and creates a foothold, a topas, a, a legal right for demonic forces to attack you. Um, other things that blind you are greed and pride. You know, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. So these are things that Im- impair your vision. So when I talk about being sober and vigilant, it's not just, hey, don't don't be getting drunk. You know, don't be smoking weed. It's don't do anything that impairs your vision. And, and a, a lot of the things in this book, these aren't things that, you know, I've completely mastered. Let's say, let's say I start giving into a temper. Let's say I start getting bothered by things. This, this isn't any, by any means anything I've mastered. This is something that I would have to work towards every single day, just like anyone else. Right. Gotcha. So, I mean, it's very important to uh, maintain your sobriety and your senses. Uh, what else, you know, talk a little bit about what to avoid as far as like pride or uh, those types of characteristics that we should avoid as Christians. Well, when you look at Jesus, he was humble. He was meek. And meekness isn't weakness. It, it's, you know, it's likened to restraint. It's, 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 it's tied in with humbleness. So when you think of pride, that is, that is the, the that that's, that's the sin that, that, that caused the Nikosh in the Garden of Eden to fall. That's, that's the sin for you know Isaiah, Isaiah 14, 14, Lucifer, son of the morning, how he how he wanted to be like God, the five I wills. It was pride. It's the thing with pride is it elevates whatever the focus of the pride is above God. So when you think of just just the mechanics of how it works, if you are giving yourself credit for your accomplishment. When, when, when God, God was, was the, the one, one that allowed you to do it, he allowed you to have an able, able body to even be able, able to accomplish anything. anything. When, you when you give yourself, yourself the credit, the credit what, it what it does is it points, points to other people and, and says, hey, look, I can, I do, this can do this in my own strength. strength. And what, and what that, that does, does is it makes, it makes people, people less, less reliant on God, which ultimately will pull them away from him. So it's not just behavior modification. It's not just like, hey, don't be prideful. That's not good for you. It's, hey, you are drawing people away from the Father. Right. The, the, there's a there's reason why you're not to be prideful, you know. Um, the, 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 devil the devil was perfect in his ways before he, he you know, iniquity was found in him. That's Ezekiel 28. So he was created perfect and he still fell to this. All, all what, what pride does is it takes the glory away from the Lord and puts it on a, by definition, lesser being. Interesting. I think that meekness is probably the least, one of the least understood terms in the New Testament. I would I would say that a lot of people don't quite, comp- you know, interpret it properly like you do, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah we, we can, can even talk, even talk about, about meekness for a little, for a little bit. bit. You know, blessed are the meek, they, they shall, shall inherit the earth. earth. So, so meekness, meekness is, is, is submissiveness. That's what, that's what, that's what, what I like it to. Submissiveness, submissiveness uh, it, it, it can be called patience, long-suffering, forbearance, resignation. So this is the lamb side of things. And it also ties in with the priest. Now, Jesus was submissive to the Father. 
you know, you know wives, wives are supposed, supposed to be submissive, submissive to their husbands. Their husbands. Uh, you know, we, we are, are all supposed, supposed to be submissive, submissive to, authority. to authority. Even, Even if, if this doesn't, doesn't mean that, that, that a wife is weaker than a husband, husband that, that a, an, employer, an, employer, an employee is weaker than, than an employer, employer it, means it means that they, that they are choosing, choosing to submit. To submit. And, and authority, authority is huge in God's, God's kingdom. kingdom. Not, Not only is it huge in his kingdom, but it's huge in the kingdom, 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 kingdom of darkness. I mentioned footholds and, you know, the enemy coming after the legal right. God values authority. He puts, he puts rulers, rulers in charge of our nations, nations as either a judgment or a reward. Or a reward. So, so, you know, you know where, where, where it, it ends, ends is you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't do anything, anything that would make, that would make you, you sin against, against the Lord. Lord but, but you have, you have to, be, to be, you know, mindful of authority. authority. You have to be meek. You have to you submit. submit. You can't you can't lash out, out and using your power blindly like a bloodthirsty barbarian, basically. And that's that's actually, I think, a very timely subject because there's so many people at odds with leadership not even just today but you know in this country and it's like give unto caesar that which is caesar's give unto god that's what it's god that's was you know what christ said but also paul also instructed people to be obedient and meek to their their king you know obey the king i think that that's a lesson to be learned yeah so i mean okay um and talk a little bit about uh these kind of characteristics of why the meek shall inherit the earth. Okay, so basically, when, when you think of meek, like I said, you think of patience, long-suffering, forbearance. These are all things that you need to exhibit as a Christian. If you do not have patience with people, and we all struggle with patience. I mean, the majority of us, I would venture to say. If, if you do not have patience, then long-suffering is out the window. Then then that, that can bleed into other areas like endurance. So your endurance for hardship, suffering, when you think of the suffering servant, like we mentioned earlier, one of the hallmarks, one of the main aspects of Jesus was the suffering. You know, suffering makes makes you into who you are. It makes you into his image. And if you think you're going to get through the Christian life without suffering, then that's not the Christian life because the Christian life will bring suffering if you're going to be conformed to his image. So along with that comes, you know, a way of speaking, you know, a meek way of speaking, Things you shouldn't be doing is lying, cursing, inappropriate speech, filthy jokes, gossip, slander, uh, and most importantly, you know, watering down the gospel, watering down the things of God, or anything you say without love. So now, does that mean that I've never cursed? I never have made a, a dirty joke in my life. I've never given into gossip. Not at all. But what it means is this is the, the guideline of, of how how I need to be conducting myself as a knight of God. When you're a knight of God, you represent your king. Just like in any knight movie, the knight represents the king. He's sent out on behalf of the king, and he holds his name. So taking the Lord's name in vain, if you go out and you say you're a Christian, and you're sitting there, everything out of your mouth is dirty, a dirty joke, an innuendo, you are are dirtying your king's name. So if the king were to hear about that, he'd be like, whoa, this is how you're representing me out there? Well, and, and if he cares, he cares about you, he's going to punish you. So, so right. th- this this goes along with meek speech. So, like these are ways to conduct yourself, and I think you lay that out. You know, a lot of detail about that. Um, why that's important to have that characteristic. <laughs> also, why, you know, what? Why do we both need to trust and fear uh, the shepherd, the good shepherd? So that's that's a perfect depiction of a lamb. The, the full trust in the shepherd, the fear of the shepherd, the awestruck reverence, and the dependence on the shepherd. So the way that Jesus was a lamb in this aspect was he did nothing without the Father. You know, 
the, the Lord is your rock, your fortress, your deliverer, your strength. He's your shield. He's your buckler, Psalm 91. And an uh, interesting thing about a shield and a buckler, uh, me with my night experience, that verse stuck out like a sore thumb to me because I knew exactly what it was talking about. Uh, he's your shield. The, the word for that is like a big, a big kite shield or a big wall shield. You think of like a big um, – maybe like the shields – the Spartans would use a giant, a giant shield. shield. And then when and you, then think, when you think, buckler, think of buckler, a buckler is more of a an offensive weapon almost. It's around your wrist. It's smaller. Sometimes they had spikes on them. These were things that, that you would fight back with. So he is not only your offense, but he is your defense. Now, now you know, the, the one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Proverbs 21:31. It's the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory lies in the Lord. And that word victory can also be uh, translated as safety. So what that shows you is I can get my saddle. I can make sure my saddle's tight. I can get my sword. I can make sure I've used my whetstone. It's all sharp. It's ready to go. I can make sure my armor's locked on tight. But if the Lord is not with me, then it doesn't mean anything. And that is dependence on the shepherd. We are to, to be dependent on him for everything. Can you quote, do you have that uh, biblical quote? Uh, do you have that quote ref, uh, available? The Proverbs. One, yeah. Proverbs, Proverbs, yeah, it's yeah, Proverbs, Proverbs 21, 31. 31. It says, it the, says horse the horse is prepared, prepared against, against the day of day battle, battle, but victory or safety, safety is, is of, of the Lord. Lord. Gotcha. And um, so you've got the shield, you've got the buckler. What is, I think we talked a little bit about the counterfeit lamb. We talked about those characteristics. Um, the, the second half, that's basically, we covered the kind of the first third of that book. What, what, talk a little bit about what's in the second and, second part of the book well in the second part of the book i get into the warrior and the priest and then the knight and the counterfeit crusader so the the warrior and the priest obviously goes into the warrior and the priest sides and then the end i tie it all together in the ultimate you know depiction of a warrior priest and that's the knight so the knight you you can't separate the knight from his sword or his his prayer when and, and i mentioned in the book i'm not talking about so much the historical knight as I am the stereotypical knight. So, so most people, when they, when they examine topics, they do the opposite. For this one, I'm talking about the stereotype. And I'm talking about how, you know, when you think of a knight, you think of a, a holy warrior kneeling down with his forehead against his sword, praying, and then going out, riding into battle, you know, maybe a cross on his shield. So this is why the knight motif was, was essential to, to what I wanted to convey, because it takes both the warrior and the priest so, you know, let, we could talk about warrior for a little bit. It's similar to the lion, lion, but it's a little different. So a, a warrior has to have strength. A warrior has to have discipline. A warrior has to have bravery, relentlessness, confidence, and also patience. Now, that, that could be a priest trait, but you think of it. Patience in battle, knowing when to strike, knowing when to hold back, not being um, foolhardy and rushing into a battle that he's not supposed to be in. So along with strength, some people think of strength as just raw power. But restraint, restraint takes a ton of strength. To have, to, to wield power and to hold yourself back from using it when you've been wronged, that takes a lot of strength in and of itself. And you look at Jesus, he, was, he has the ultimate power and he allowed himself to be wronged and put on the cross and sacrificed for all mankind. He allowed his beard to be torn out, his back to be torn open, nails to be driven through him. He required discipline and strength for that task. Now, Let's say let's say you're reading the book. You're like, oh yeah, I got this warrior stuff down. I, I I'm a complete warrior. I, I'm 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 good on that. 
you could be in danger of being a counterfeit warrior. So all of these counterfeits are what happens if you have a perverted or corrupted version of these these aspects. So when you think of a warrior, a bloodthirsty barbarian, that's a violent man. That's a man who has great strength and and misuses it. So you think of someone who's selfish, who's not a team player. You think of someone who's double-minded. Now, one of the things that was the hallmark of David, King David, was he was very decisive in what he did. He wasn't double-minded. And when you look at the man he replaced, he replaced King Saul. King Saul was double-minded. King Saul, one day he was holding up David, celebrating. The next day he was throwing spears at him. So that's someone who, who, whose camp in their mind is completely split down the middle. Like a mutiny of the mind is, is ready to happen. And another thing for the, the counterfeit warrior, he's impatient and impulsive. So there's, there's a lack of restraint. There's impulsiveness. There's acting on emotion. There's acting right away out of just just pure almost instinct. And, and those people ultimately, the counterfeit warriors, are angry bullies. That's what a bully is, a counterfeit warrior, someone who has strength and who uses, uses it to harm, to harm others. others. All right, now, that's a good point. Yeah. Please continue. Uh, next, we can get into the priest. So you think of a priest, you think of holy, pure, consecrated. You think of uh, forgiveness. And now also you think of discipline. Same with the warrior, but it's, it's, it's towards the things of the Lord. You think of a selfless servant. You think of long-suffering. So whereas a warrior, a lot of those people tend to be leaders, you think of a priest, uh, that's a selfless servant. Now, what is one of the, the things you need most? I would say the core thing you need most to be a leader, that's a servant's heart. And that's hard. Now, now when I'm examining myself, there's areas, you know, I, I, I was the, the manager, uh, uh, second in command over the nights at Medieval Times. It was being trained to eventually take the, the head position of, of my own castle. Now, I, I was a leader. Now, I learned that I fell short in a lot of areas. I would, I would you know, be too aggressive in my approach to handling things. I, I, would, I would be very cut and dry in certain areas. I would be, you know, I, I wouldn't have the restraint needed to deal with someone patiently. So I learned firsthand that I needed a servant's heart if I'm going to be a leader in any capacity. If I'm put into a role where I need to, I need to be the leader, I need to remember I am a servant and I'm in the, in position, the position of a leader. Of so you so think, you of, think a priest, of a priest, they're, they're, they're selfless, selfless servants, servants. They're, they're long suffering. That goes, that matches a warrior's endurance, but long suffering for, for, you know, for the horrible things that life can bring you, the ailments, the, the trials, you have to be long suffering. So let's talk about the counterfeit priest. Here's, here's one that really a lot of people will know and it'll, 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 you know, touch a lot of nerves with people that have wronged them. So a counterfeit priest, they're loveless. They do things without love. So this, so a counterfeit priest is a priest. They're a religious person most of the time. They're in the church. They're, they're all these places, but they're loveless. So these are the people that beat you over the head with their religion. These are the people that are holier than thou. These are the Pharisees. These are the modern-day Pharisees, and I even have a chapter on that. Now, these people are never wrong. These people are self-serving. They twist scriptures. Uh, a lot of cults fall into this bracket. They're hypocritical liars. They're self-righteous, and they're surrounded by other Pharisees. So these people, you think of the Pharisees, Jesus came, and he had the most problems with them. They were stuck in their man-made ways. ways. That right. all, all of their religion started m- molding, molding into, into man's, man's practices, practices, and they, and they couldn't differentiate, differentiate the two. The two. And, so and so when when Jesus, Jesus came and did things a seemingly, seemingly different way, but it was the intended way, way they, they, they they couldn't handle, handle it. Oh, how, how, you, you dare do this? This is not only could they not handle it. He his most of his condemnations were against 
the Pharisees, if not all of them. I, you know, most of his uh, harsh words were against them. Exactly, and they even said, you cast out demons by the spirit of Beelzebub. And, it, and it's like, man, you had the Son of Man in front of you, and you were so blinded by your religion as a counterfeit priest that you couldn't, you couldn't see the forest for the trees. You couldn't see the Savior right in front of you because you were so worried about religion. Which, which you know, you know good point. Good by point. all intents and purposes, that's why they were in religion, to, to meet the Father, to, to have a relationship with him. And they totally missed the boat. This is true. This is true. Um, Drew, we are at about 40 minutes. Uh, there's a lot more in this book. There's much more information in chapters. But um, is there anything that you would like to leave the audience with? And uh, in addition, where can they find this book? You can get this book on Amazon.com. It's called The Warrior Priest Mindset. The subtitle is A Necessary Dichotomy for God's Chosen Knights. Uh, you can't miss it. It's a bright orange book. And um, I have my, my The Radical Christian Facebook page. That's my YouTube channel. It's hosted on the Daily Renegade YouTube channel, which is Josh Peck's platform. And um, the website you can find me at is dailyrenegade.com slash the radical Christian. Um, I'm, on I'm on Facebook, Facebook Geographia. Geographia. But, but the, the, the last, last thing I would want to leave somebody, somebody with, with is you have, have a calling, calling you have a you purpose while you're, you're here. here. Go, go pick, pick up, up your Bible, Bible with excitement. With excitement. Go, pick go pick it up, it up tonight. tonight. Go, 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 you know, there's you know, great programs that I always recommend, like eSword. And it's and basically, basically it brings the Bible, Bible all the words from Strong's. Strong's. You can cross-reference, and it's very easy to use. Basically, basically go, go, go research an area of the Bible that you're excited, you're excited about, about, even if no one else is. If you, if you want to learn about Chemosh, if you want to learn about Samson, go look him up and just see what the Lord has in store for you today. See what he's trying to communicate to just you. So just go open your Bible. That's all I would say. That's all that really matters. Amen. Again, it's Drew Graffia. Last name is spelled G-R-A-F-F-I-A. Title of the book, again, is The Warrior Priest Mindset, A Necessary Dichotomy for God's Chosen Knights. And you also have a podcast, right? So you're on the Renegade Christian as a podcast as well. Is that correct? Yeah, it's, yeah, on, it's there. on there. So, so I, do I do my YouTube, YouTube channel. channel. Um, uh, I've, I've been, doing been doing it every, every week. week. Um, um, uh, it, might it might go down to bi-weekly, bi-weekly depending, depending on how, depending how busy, busy I get. I get but, but yeah, that, yeah that's, that's converted to podcast form and uploaded on the Daily Renegade podcast. You can find that on iTunes, wherever podcasts are. Awesome. Well, congratulations on the book. I really enjoyed reading it. I definitely got fired up reading it. So congratulations on that. And I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. All right, Drew. Cool. All right, man.